And let's pray. Father, send down your spirit that we might uh, receive from his ministry those things which we need, that our hearts may be set upon you and upon your ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout the Bible, human beings struggle with God and with God's ways. And this is true to life, I think you might agree. For God and his ways may confront us, they may displease us, they may even offend and anger us. Jesus told stories about people who had a problem with God. Uh, The older brother of the prodigal son, to uh, to pick a famous example. A man who is angry at his father for celebrating the return of his prodigal brother. And in the parable, the father stands for God. And here is a man angry with God for his mercy upon a wayward brother. Jonah has a similar problem with God and his ways. For the wicked city of Nineveh repents of their evil and violence in a very earnest way. And then God relents from sending calamity upon them, a calamity they had attracted through their very evil ways and violence. And Jonah is furious that God would relent in this way. The book of Jonah, as we've heard it read, does not have a happy ending. It has a kind of super awkward ending with God trying to reason with his prophet Jonah, who is just so angry he wants to die. Perhaps there are things about the way God runs the world, as you see it, that make you angry. You know, a certain lack of justice here and now. Uh, Wicked cities or wicked powers or wicked institutions or wicked individuals who are not thrown down, although they richly deserve it. You might sympathise then with Jonah's impatience at God's patience, with uh, with Jonah's wrath at God's mercy. This might strike a chord. Today, I want to look at the story of Jonah's anger at God's relenting, and then, secondly, the things that God gives Jonah and gives us to think about in this situation. So, firstly, the story of Jonah's anger at God's mercy. Now, if you were here last week, you will know that Jonah is himself actually a grateful recipient of God's mercy. In Jonah 1 and 2, which we had last week, Jonah is told to preach against Nineveh, but he doesn't want to do this, and he flees by boat across the sea. And the Lord sends a storm to rattle Jonah's timbers. But Jonah prefers death in the ocean to crying out to God. And he is thrown into the ocean in the midst of this raging storm, and sinking down, he at the last moment cries out, God And he says, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. I, he said, with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. Jonah was a grateful recipient of God's mercy. And so 
we come to Jonah 3, where a chastened Jonah receives again God's commission uh, and he receives it this time in a different frame of mind. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord this time and went to Nineveh. And the rest of chapter 3, our first reading, emphasises how great the city of Nineveh is and how complete their response to Jonah's message is. And Nineveh was, we read, a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, Nineveh is one of several large and wicked cities in the Bible. There was also, you might think of Babylon or Tyre, uh, and both, like Nineveh, are enemies of Israel, and both are condemned in various places as wicked cities, despite being great cities. Nineveh was, uh, did eventually actually conquer and bring an end to the northern kingdom of Israel, that is, to Jonah's own country. Nahum, the book of Nahum, another uh, short prophet in the Old Testament, it's three chapters, which is one long book against Nineveh. And it ends like this. It ends with this condemnation of Nineveh. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? This is how Nahum said about the city of Nineveh. And so Nineveh's repentance at Jonah's preaching, so immediate, so thorough, so urgent, seems quite unexpected. The Ninevites believed God. This is well before Nahum is, is uh, writing about what has happened to them. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Here is a proud king who abases himself here is a cruel people who are called to fast and to pray and to repent. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And so in this urgent calling upon God, the Ninevites do discover that God indeed will relent. And with compassion, turn from his fierce anger. That's what happens. But actually, it's no surprise to Jonah that God relents from sending calamity. Rather, for Jonah, it is, is, it is entirely predictable and, in fact, sickening and intolerable that God would do this, that God would relent from sending calamity just because the Ninevites repent. Chapter 4, verse 1, But to Jonah... This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. 
I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is where it all comes tumbling out. The reason for Jonah's disobedience, that God would, out of compassion, stay his judgment When the Ninevites believed and repented, this offends and angers Jonah. For a passion for justice burns in Jonah's heart. God himself has labelled Nineveh as wicked in chapter 1. Go to Nineveh and preach against it. For its wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah thinks, well, if its wickedness has reached the notice of heaven... Isn't it time for accountability? Isn't it time for just desserts? Isn't it time for pulling down the rotten power? Why give the oppressor any chance to wriggle out of it? What about the victims? Those who have been robbed and assaulted, defiled and dispossessed. Those who have been killed. Jonah wants God to be the one who does not leave the guilty unpunished. And that's where he wants God to put the full stop. Jonah doesn't want God to be the compassionate and gracious God, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Not when it comes to the Ninevites, anyway. And Jonah is convinced that he sees clearly. The Ninevites are just bad. They're just wrong. They're just unforgivable, really. It's simple. It's straightforward. Cancel them, God confiscate their stuff, pull them down. God questions whether Jonah's anger is really as pure and righteous as Jonah thinks. Is it right for you to be angry? Is the question Jonah asks this furious prophet. Jonah refuses to answer. Again, perhaps you can relate to Jonah in his anger that corrupt powers aren't dealt with thoroughly and promptly. You might ask, why give oppressors any mercy? Why must victims wait a moment longer for justice? Isn't it time they were vindicated? Isn't it time that privileged, self-serving, prejudiced class got a taste of their own medicine? Aren't we on the right side? Don't we see what should be done? Isn't God's grace indeed a great crime? against humanity. Perhaps you think there's something to that line of thought. So that's the story of Jonah's anger against God. Let's move on secondly now to the things that God gives Jonah and gives us to think about. Jonah sets up an encampment as a kind of protest against God's inaction. Verse 5 of chapter 4, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. And you might think, what is God up to with this plant? He gives it to Jonah as a gift, which is a benefit to Jonah, and then... He takes it away. 
Verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, moreover, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And again, Jonah is angry, angry enough to die. God is intolerable. Why live in his stupid world? And at this point, God leaves Jonah with an observation and a question. Verse 10, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. There's the observation. Here is something that gave you shelter. But you were left exposed and unprotected when it was destroyed. And you were angry with me for destroying it because you pitied its demise. And then comes the question in verse 11. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? A great city is like a plant. Well, not so much like a small, fast-growing, fast-dying vine, more like a great tree. And a great tree provides shelter for many. In Nineveh, says the Lord, there are 120,000 who cannot tell their right hand from their left. That is, they lack moral discernment. Perhaps it's because they're young. These are the children of the city. Perhaps it's because they're ignorant. They have not been taught what is good and bad, right and wrong. Their consciences have been seared somehow. Now, these 120,000 people living in the great city of Nineveh, perhaps they don't deserve the judgment that the wicked of the city do deserve. But God says, if I overthrow the city... They will all be swept away with it. Is that right? Is that best? In Genesis, Abraham pleaded with God to spare the wicked city of Sodom if ten righteous people could be found in it. And God agreed to do that, to spare the wicked city for the sake of ten. Jonah cannot imagine that Nineveh might be a mixed place. And that God's judgment would be terrible for actually non-wicked people caught up in it. Jonah is not moved, as Abraham was, to plead for the wicked city, to plead for Nineveh. And God's question to Jonah is a rebuke to Jonah. Are you right to be angry? Not only that, God ends by inviting Jonah to consider the animals of Nineveh. For even when human beings are not considerate or careful about animals, God is. God loves all that he has made, including animals, the wild animals and the domestic animals. God cares for animals and he does not wish them to suffer. And to avoid the animal suffering involved in the divine destruction of Nineveh, God will arrange a prophet to bring about repentance in that city and a stay of execution 
over Nineveh. God has his reasons why he wishes to seek Nineveh's repentance and extend his mercy to them. So God's plant given and taken away and God's final speech invites Jonah to reconsider his rage for justice. To see Nineveh not as a mere sink of evil, but as a city worth seeking to change and to save for the sake of both human being and animal. Two reflections for us. Firstly, moral absolutism, a kind of burning, excessive rage for justice, is an error that we still fall into. I know what should be done. I know what God should be doing. I know when and how judgment should fall. My rage for justice pits me against God and against all those who are on the wrong side, with the wrong views in the wrong camp. And I'm right to be angry. This kind of moral absolutism, God questions in Jonah and therefore questions in us. Twice, God asks, is it right for you to be angry with me over this, in this way? Is it right? And so we can ask about our rage for justice. Is it right? Really? Is it proportionate? Is it reflective of the truth to be angry like this about this? For moral absolutism is a temptation and a trap. The second reflection is this. God is looking for ways to avoid bringing destruction on the wicked. He's actively sending his servants to bring the wicked to repentance. And of course we see this in Jonah, but it's brought to a head when God's son, Jesus Christ, comes preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This grace and compassion of God that he would come to us, call us to repent, give us the ability to repent. This grace and compassion of God is the best thing about him if you're a sinner. Which we are, by the way. We've confessed it already. Jesus comes to us much more willingly than Jonah went to Nineveh, by the way, much more willingly. He comes to us to warn us of our danger and call us to turn back to God. Nineveh is called to repent of its evil and violence. Jonah is called to repent of his anger over God's compassion and grace, his oversimple moral calculus. We should think, what are we called to repent of? Any of those things or something else? And not just what are we called to repent of, will we do it? Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you that you are looking for ways to avoid bringing destruction on human beings. That you send your servants to call us to repentance. That as you sent Jonah to the Ninevites, so you sent Jesus Christ to all the world. And his call, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, is still for us today to take to heart and to respond to. And so we pray, Lord, 
that you would help us to take it to heart and to respond to it, to see those things we need to set aside and repudiate and leave behind and to do it. And Lord, where we fall into this trap that Jonah fell into of some kind of moral absolutism or rage at your grace and compassion, we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to that and help us to turn away from it, that we might love, actually, your grace and compassion. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.